we turn now to the Word of God. And if, if you're following along with us, we've been walking through this letter that Paul wrote to the Colossians. So we're in Colossians chapter 4, and we won't finish today. We'll finish next week, but we're getting close to the end of this really fun and helpful letter. And I just, I want to make sure you set it up right. I've called this Till Christ Returns because, because really the, the thing is we've been saved. And if you're here and you put your faith in Christ and you're singing these songs with us because of Jesus and what he's, what he's done, our trust is in the Lord. And sometimes then, in, if our trust is in the Lord, we get this piece where we go, well, now what? And so Till Christ Returns is this piece. He could come back any minute. But I've been saying he can come back any minute for 25 years since I've been a Christian longer. He's not here. So what do I continue to do with my life? What do I continue? And so really we started to look at that in Paul. Paul's writing in this book of Colossians in chapter three, because he framed it for us. He gave these commands kind of for daily living, but he framed it for us in a very specific way, which is this. I died and my life is hid in Christ. I'm not even alive anymore, he said. And now my only life that I have is in Jesus Christ. And then he says, when Christ, who is my life, appears, this is the beginning of chapter 3, when Christ, who is my life, appears, then I also will appear with him in glory. So I have this new hope. The new hope is in Jesus. It changes everything about how I see life now, even as I live here on earth. And we looked at some of those things as he went through chapter 3. For example, it says, I don't live after self-gratification anymore. Now I... And now I know that Jesus has done everything for me. I don't have to build myself up. Humility and gentleness and compassion and all those things that start to come through this reality that look what's been given to me. We looked at relationships like how, how a marriage relationship reflects Jesus and the church and, and, and how parents not discouraging their kids and why those things connect to the gospel and to this new hope that we have. Even last week when we talked about bond servants and masters, how this amazing wonder that we don't, we don't have to impose. We can live low because we've been saved forever. Really cool. And now Paul has just a couple commands here at the end that connect to the same frame. They're in the line of this particular flow. And I like these because they're things that generally are activities in the Christian life that we start thinking we need to get done or accomplish. And so, I want to go through these with you. They're really helpful and hopefully encouraging. Okay, so the first one is this. Why pray? Why pray? We're going to talk about prayer today, at least for part of our time, because prayer is a really interesting piece of our lives as Christians, and I just don't know if you really have in your heart the reasons why you pray. And I think here in our text, it's really super helpful to see this flow that Paul has, part of this chunk of live now because you died and you're alive in Christ. There's this activity, prayer. Here's what Colossians says, chapter 4, verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Kind of cool, huh? Realize when it says continue steadfastly, he thinks you're already doing it, but really you could almost translate this as be busily engaged in. You want to say, okay, I'm a Christian now. What do I do with my Christian life? Well, one of the things you would take right out of the Bible, you could just take this verse and give it to you. I could hand it to you on a platter. Say, are you busily engaged in prayer? 
That's the continue steadfastly. It's literally that. So if you're a believer, if you want to be busy, here's something to be busy in. And, and, and it's, it's interesting because as soon as I say that, it starts to be like, well, um, <laughs> I guess you kind of got me, Dax. I don't, I don't pray as much as I could pray. I want you to see, I want you to feel this because it's all over the Bible. In fact, if there's a command that's in the Bible anywhere as a Christian, it's to pray. I mean, from the very beginning, if you go back to Acts chapter 1, it says right there, it says they started, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Romans 12, let me give you a couple just to put on the board. Rejoice in hope, writes Paul. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I I get why that first one, rejoice in hope, is there, because because of Jesus and he died on the cross, my hope is in him, so I'm going to rejoice in that hope. I get it. I kind of get be patient in tribulation because Jesus is coming back. But the constant in prayer, I start to not understand the reason. It starts not to make sense to me, and so honestly, I don't do it very well. How about this one? In Ephesians 6, he says, hey, you should be praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keeping alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints that we should be praying all the time. (laughs) All, 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 all. James 5 says we're to pray for one another constantly. 1 Thessalonians. Hey, this is interesting. Rejoice always. I feel that command. Boy, I don't do that one very well. And then pray without ceasing. I know I got you there. Because you had to stop praying to listen to the sermon. So we kind of have these, hey, this prayer piece, I know it's important. I know it's really, there's there's more call to pray in the New Testament than than really any other command. More than sort of other living things, other like be holy, and, and those are there. More than fleeing immorality, but pray. Every letter of Paul has some reference or example of prayer in it. Is it fair to say we spend almost all our time on other things? On working for God's glory like we can? on doing what we think God wants us to do and we hardly pray at all. or And, and I think maybe it's because we don't understand. I'm thinking about it like this, I'll tell you. So I'm thinking about this. I'm feeling like prayer and I say, hey, I know I'm supposed to pray, but you know, honestly, the, the truth is I pray and nothing happens. So I pray a lot, but it doesn't seem to do much. And then even theologically, I start thinking theologically, God knows what I need even before I ask him. What, what, why am I... It's kind of like busy work. I mean, so we start thinking, hey, prayer is not something that I do all the time because I'm not sure that it does much. And and I know God does love me and he's doing it anyway, whether or not I pray. So why is it that I need to pray? What's this thing? And so then it feels a little bit like a work. I don't do very well at works. <laughs> Maybe I don't pray. So perhaps it's not seeing prayer rightly, that, that, but so I, I want you to frame it a little different with me. I want you to think about it in this way. Doesn't prayer reflect the very heart of the gospel? I just want you to think about this a little, to put it in the context of what we've been doing in Colossians. Why would Paul say this, at least in no small degree? It's because it reflects exactly what the gospel is. What is the gospel? 
that, well, that's the gospel. That's First Corinthians 15, that Jesus came and he lived a perfect life and he died and he rose from the dead. And, and, and that's where my hope is, is that he did all those things so that I live. I died and my life is hidden in Christ. Yeah, if that's true, the only hope you have is in what you've been given. My only hope is in what I've been given. Not in what I do, but in God and his rich mercy he saved us. I have nothing to bring. You know that old ditty, it says, nothing in my hands I bring, only to thy cross I cling. Right? With me? This is, this is what the gospel is. And, and, and then sometimes we're often running to do good things for God. And shouldn't we instead consider ourselves always weak and asking God for anything that we need? We ask and we ask and we ask because the only thing that really has ever mattered in my life was a free gift from this God who's so powerful that he gives me what I need. And so what what prayer is, is going back into the presence of this God. And by the way, going back into the presence of God, when we pray, we go in the presence of God, right? What do you have to do to be in the presence of God? Well, it's not really what you have to do, Dax. It's about you have to be something. What do you have to be? Holy. So... When you go and you pray to God, you're, you're saying something about how you think about yourself, right? The fact that you would be able to be heard by God and be in his presence means you think you are holy. How are you holy? By the blood of Jesus. So the very act of prayer, the very thing that we're doing is acting out the gospel when we pray, right? You want something to do, says Paul. Here's something to do. Act out the gospel. How do I act out the gospel? I come into my dad's presence. How can I do that? By the blood of Jesus. Really cool. And plus, it's this posture, right? This is the thing. When you're praying, it's a posture. What's the posture of? It's a posture of saying, Lord, I'm asking you, Dad, help. Because help from your dad is what has gotten you the only thing you have. Life in Christ. And so if you're always there, instead of saying, no, Dad, I'm strong enough, I can do this. <laughs> you can. We who get the gospel, we who stand and say, this is our hope. My only hope now is that when Christ appears, I'm going to appear to him in glory by his power, by his strength, by his action, by his righteousness, by everything that he has given to me. And we should always be just logically. I'm not talking about getting anything from God. I'm saying our posture should always be about asking God. I should always go to my dad and say, dad, help. Right? That, that's where he's going, I think. I think when I pray, again, I'm not particularly giving you a theology of prayer this morning. There's other things to talk about in prayer. But I do want you to see this command in the flow of Colossians, what Paul's doing in each of these things, including prayer. He's saying to you and me, we should be praying all the time, not because it's some heavy burden to weigh on you, but because we say, I've been saved by the gospel my only hope is in Christ. My only life is in Christ. What am I going to do now? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to go to my dad's presence all the time. Because it's this posture of saying, I'm totally dependent on him. When I pray, I'm training me. I'm actually acknowledging there's nothing I can do. I'm dependent on God who gives. Whether or not he gives the thing I'm asking for, I'm still in that posture, right? that if I'm going to get something, it's going to be from him. 
I'm reminding myself I don't accomplish. I'm talking with the king. I'm holy to do that. So this, this even what Jesus says, seek and you will find, ask and you will receive, is, is the reality is I have received. We have received. Greatest gift man's ever given. Ever given to man. So, so we, his children, we oftentimes don't really ask, and, and we would rather think, oddly enough, that we do things for God. And, 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 and so I think Paul's hitting back at that. And, and again, it's important for me to, that we see it's not so much that we're praying in order to get these things to happen. Not in the Bible. I don't think. Let me give you one example that maybe you haven't thought about. This is from um, Revelation chapter 5. It's the beautiful scene in the... It's this beautiful scene in, in heaven. Did it go there? It went there. Good. It's this beautiful scene in heaven where the Lamb, who's Jesus Christ, he's worthy to open these, these judgments, these scrolls, the only one that can, and everyone around him says, and when he, and it's talking about Christ, has taken the scroll, the four living creatures, and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. Beautiful scene, right? But these golden bowls, which are the Prayers of the saints. Not the prayers that were answered. The prayers. There's a value in the act of you coming before God and saying, Lord, I depend on you. Our dependence always, our cry day and night before you that you might come and establish this this justice on earth that we long for and do not see these things that we cannot accomplish on our own righteousness and goodness we totally depend on you lord and you pray that and you pray that for the lord to act and it gets this amazing incense being being done and so it's 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 the lord values that not that you do it so that you get a few incense like golden sparkles in the bowl it's the reality that you and i see that we've been saved by christ alone and as we act that out, you see, as we start to, to play out the reality of what you already know to be true, this is valuable to God. Pretty amazing. I mean, there's two um, pieces to it in what we see here in Colossians. So it's continue steadfastly in prayer. So let's be busy about this. Being watchful with thanksgiving. Watchful is really fun. It means actually being alive. Your eyes are open. You're alive. So you're living your life constantly aware that you're dependent on God and other people too. So you're seeing something. Oh man, I see that. Oh Lord, please help that person. And very much speaking, I think in this, in this particular passage in the area of intercession and praying for other people and praying for yourself, things that you see, they're like, just remind you, man, God has to act here. <laughs> Driving down the road and you see an accident. Oh man, Lord, that you'd have mercy on that car as it goes. These things, right? Continuing steadfast in prayer, alert, watchful. Why? Because you're constantly in the mindset of everything I am is dependent on my Father. He blesses me all the time. So the only reason I can be that is because I have this new hope that he's already given me life by not judging me based on my works, but on Christ's. You go there. With thanksgiving. Thanksgiving literally is Eucharist. It's where we get our word for communion this amazing thanksgiving that we have, that we've been covered by the blood of the Lamb. It makes me want to come into the presence of the Father. Thankful I get to. This plays itself out in reality. It really does. I think. For example, let me give you one more example. So so I have this friend yesterday, and is a good friend. 
And this, he has somebody in his body who, it's not in our church, that says in his body who struggles with, he's, he's become a Christian, but he falls back into sin, back into drugs and alcohol. And he's like, what, what, what am I supposed to do? I want to go grab him and take him and take him down and so we could send him to a rehab or he could, he could, um, go steal his drugs so he doesn't have them or, or he could go like set up guards on his door to keep him from drinking or all the things that we start to think we could do. What's the reality? None of those things are going to do something that isn't the change. What's the change? A changed heart. I can stop him from drinking for the next five days by sitting outside his door with a, I don't know, frown on my face and saying, I'm going to watch over you. But I haven't changed his heart at all. Who changes hearts? Oh, wait a minute. I know that person. His name is God. God in Christ changes heart. God the Holy Spirit changes heart. God does. I'm totally dependent on God to change someone's heart. And so what do I need to do? I said, actually, what you need to do is pray. You're coming to God and saying, Lord, I can't. There's no way. I can I can do the practical things, and those are good things. They're not bad things. But I can't do the ultimate thing, which is a changed heart. I'm still dependent on God all the time to do the work that only he can do. So, so when you're there and you say, I get it. So that's why Paul says this, to say, pray constantly. Be busy about this work. Because it just flows right out of the reality that you and I live in. I'm hopeless to do the real things that need to happen. Doesn't mean I don't try. It means I know I'm weak. Okay. You should always pray because the one who delivers is not and has never been you. This act of asking is training you and I to live lives of this receiving posture, and we do receive all the time. Regardless of my posture, right? Regardless of whether I pray or not, I'm still receiving from God all the time. It's so fantastic. I, I woke up this morning alive. I had my favorite cereal. Right now it's rice checks. Praise God, he's so kind to me. I got to eat. I breathe. I enjoy the beauty of, around me. I, I have things, blessings that God gives me all the time. Praise God, he's so good to me. I receive, I receive, I receive. I don't even ask. I didn't ask for rice checks this morning. But I got them. So cool. God blesses us, not always in ways we think he's going to, but he does bless us. And, and we receive, so we're in this attitude. We should see it. Man, I, any life that I have now, I have in Christ. I've died. My life's in Christ. I'm waiting for Jesus to return. I'm in this posture. And so what kind of things do we pray for? He goes into in verse 3. He says, at the same time, pray also for us, Paul says, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak, while you're praying, Paul says, in this activity that you're doing because of the gospel, please, petition God for us. He's talking about Timothy and Epaphroditus and the people with him, and, and particularly himself, especially me, because he goes into the first person, right? That's what he does. Okay, you just got to see this. Paul needs prayer. He needs prayer. Prayer for things that he can't do himself or doors to open to the word, he says, that the mystery of Christ might be proclaimed. By the way, this is wonderful stuff, really cool to think about, that the word, it's not just the Bible. The word is particularly about the mystery of Christ. 
What's that mystery? That anyone, anyone can be saved, anybody, just by receiving the gift. Fantastic. This is upside down, that Jesus died for you and me, that God has died so that you and I have life. This great mystery, anyone can receive this gift of eternal life, not on how good you are, not on how just you are, only by receiving a gift and for it to be received, doors have to open. God has to work on people's hearts. Now, it's not just, it's not just, this is kind of, I mean, it's good to think about, walking through with Paul. It's not just, okay, God, open the door, I'm ready to go. He says, open the door and keep praying that I might make it clear. What a great prayer request. How revealing. He's always trembling at this word of the gospel, the issue for us all, is this issue of Paul's, to make it clear. I don't want to get to heaven and miss the clarity of Jesus and the good news. This ought to give us pause. Are we speaking it clearly? And by the way, to speak it clearly, you need help. Holy Spirit's help. Helps with clarity. So, here's the question. Why pray? And I guess I just wanted you to see this morning because answers kind of pull at us and they pull us away from actually praying. Answers like, I pray but but I don't get what I asked for. I pray and I pray, but it just I'm not sure God hears me. That they start to take away from the reason why we pray. You might even stop praying. It goes to a dead end. It really does. It goes to a dead end because what will happen is something like this. Is And this happened to me. It happened to me in Africa. I was adopting, or I hadn't adopted yet. My wife and I were trying to have kids. So we, people would pray for us and actually had people come up to us and say, Dax, your faith is not enough. When you get more faith, then the Lord will give you a child. That's a version of this pray that says God will give you something if you get enough of, get it in order right. And what a terrible, terrible trap. God gives because he gives. My dad, my dad in Africa, and many thousands of people come and pray for him for his Parkinson's disease in Africa, and yet he doesn't get cured. So is it that we need more thousands of people? We just need to get enough people to pray. We need more people to pray. A thousand isn't enough. Is 10,000. Is 20,000. When you go there and you start looking at the results, you're going the wrong direction. Because the whole direction that we pray for is because God, we're trusting that our God has all the power and that he loves to give. That's the text we read this morning in Luke 18. Remember that parable that Jesus gave of the unjust judge where the, the woman comes and she prays and she says, hey, 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 decide for me, decide for me. And he won't even listen to her because he doesn't fear God or love anything. Just He's a bad judge. But finally he does answer her because she's so persistent. And the whole point of the parable is, is not that God's like that, like if you're very persistent, he will answer you. It's that he's not like that, except in one way. He doesn't give based on merit. That judge didn't care about her or her case. He was just, man, get away from me. God's the opposite. He loves you to death. And he gives you what you don't deserve. Life. So we take stuff to him, not because we think, oh, well, if I ask enough or if I ask enough times, God will eventually give it to me because I've been so persistent, he just wants to get rid of me. That's the opposite of my God. He says, no, 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 God loves you to death and you can come into his presence and, and give him that, that thing and, and he loves to give to you. It might not be the way that you think he should give to you. 
But the reason you're doing it is because of what you've received. You've received eternal life in Christ. The tragedy then becomes we don't ask, we don't pray. We give these half-hearted, almost, almost sure we won't get anything, we'll toss it up anyway, and then we'll pray. It's not in the light of the wonder of our salvation in Christ. It's not as a here I am acting out the gospel, which is what we're supposed to do, because this is, this is amazing. It, it becomes this, um, well, I'm just kind of discouraged in it because I'm not getting what I've prayed for. Or the flip side is, you get a few things you prayed for, and then you start a, a big thing. Hey, I'm a, I'm a Benny Hinn. I, I've got the gift of making sure my, my prayers get answered, and yours don't. It's a terrible thing. Instead, you and I, let's always, always, always be busy with what? With praying. Why? Because the whole gospel is I've received from God this amazing gift that I, I, I want other people to know about, but, but really, I know it. And it pushes me into the arms of my dad with all of my cares. God in Christ adores you. I don't pray because it gets results. I pray because I have the result. Life in Christ, and I want to show it everywhere, even to other people in this room. Okay, so that's prayer, and, and boy, may we, may we grow in it. Here's the other one that I want to do before we go. Why care? Because again, we're doing these whole things in the light of we've been saved, we're going to heaven, we're just waiting for Jesus to come back. He's my hope. I've been given this amazing gift. And now it's mostly, I'm just biding the time until Christ returns. And so some of the things that we're going to do are things that reflect that. One of it is, why do we care even for other people? Why do we care what we do? So he says in verse 5, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Pause there for a minute with me. What does this mean to walk in wisdom towards outsiders? People sometimes use this verse to talk about evangelism. Make sure you use every moment you can to share Jesus with someone. I'm sympathetic to that. I do think that man sharing Jesus is one of the very best things you can do, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. Not, not in this verse. I can say that with such clarity and firmness because he said almost the exact same thing in Ephesians. But he gave the context of what he meant. So in Ephesians, for example, he says this. He says, um, he says this, and this is Ephesians chapter 5. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as wise, but unwise, but wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. What's that? That's a parallel passage. That's exactly almost the same thing. And then he says this. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's not botchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. What is he doing? He's saying, don't waste the time. Isn't make sure that you get Jesus in evangelism, as good as that is. It's don't have the heart that people outside the faith have. What's that? They're living for themselves. They're living in merit. They're living in building themselves up. They're living in, in that fear of, have I done enough? They're living in all these things that you don't live in. You're free in the Lord. So, so respond to it. Don't walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom of this new identity that you've been given in Christ, that you're, you're dead and you only live in Christ. So then, Man, sing songs to Jesus. Encourage each other. Be thankful because of what you've been given. Submit to one another because it's a beautiful picture of Christ. Those aren't like evangelistic things. That's like 
reflecting in your life what's true. And it's about wisdom. So it may look different for you and for me. But all of our lives, as we begin to live them, as we begin to live them out, while we wait for Jesus to return, it's about not like going into drunkenness because that's just dissipation. There's no use or value or anything. Instead, I should be like drunk with the Spirit. What's, what's the Spirit doing? Reminding me of Christ. He's my teacher and my comforter and my director of the gospel. So as I get my identity, I get to do things that reflect it. That's, that's it. Walk in wisdom towards outsiders. So we know when I'm walking around with outsiders, with people who aren't of the faith, they don't get this. They don't understand. And so I'm, I'm actually needing to filter the things that people tell me what to do with what wisdom is based on my new identity in Christ. This will happen over and over in your life. So you're going to have to deal with this. And the reason why you care is that you have actually found a treasure. I died. My life is hidden in Christ. When Jesus, who is my hope, appears, I will appear with him in glory. The resurrection is coming. My hope is there. So, so I live there, right? And then it says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. There's something here that's really helpful. Towards outsiders. You know what the most amazing thing is? most amazing thing is if Jesus would use you to save somebody else. That'd be cool. I think that'd be so neat for each and every person in this room to experience that. It'd be awesome. I don't know that he will. But if he would, I'll tell you, you'd be rejoicing in heaven if someone comes to you and says, you know what? The Lord used you, your words, to bring me into his presence. Wow! I'll give that person a hug. You would too. And, and so to say, here it is. It says, hey, there's something to know that's helpful towards outsiders. They don't get it. And so it, this is assuming something. This very statement is, when you say acting towards wisdom towards outsiders, that your speech is with salt, that it's gracious, it assumes you're out there with them. I'm not talking about in Africa or something. That's great if the Lord calls you there. But we're not hidden in a room. Paul says, hey, I would tell you to get out of the, the, the way and flee immorality from the world, but you have to take you out of the world, and I can't take you out of the world because you're in the world. He says that in 1 Corinthians 5. You're in the world, but you're scattered around the world, and, and while you are, you've got this new identity, and this new identity, you just want to live it out. That's all you want, and, and this gracious speech and this salty speech means you're actually living out of this reality, this new reality that you have come to know. You, you talk about stuff like that. Be insightful. And this means you've got to know what it is you're believing, what your identity is, why good things come out of you, and you've got to know it's not you, right? For example, let me give you some examples. Your this fruit of the Spirit that you have, love, joy, peace, patience. When those are produced, they're not produced by you, right? You don't go where the world goes. Yeah, you know, I've worked on patience a long time. I've become very good at sort of uh, controlling my tongue so that I can answer every man rightly. You know, when you say that, you're going against James 3 that says, no man can control the tongue. That's called fruit of the Spirit, if you're patient. Not fruit of Dax, fruit of the Spirit. Okay, you guys are going to get sad with me, so I'll flip the image around. But I got this image from, from another pastor. He says, says this, okay, imagine you're walking down the street, 
and say you are a dumpy, overweight, acne-ridden, balding woman. And on your arm, it's a handsome, young, 20-year-old male model who's your husband. You know what people are going to say? What hold do you have over that person? Why are they with you? There's no way they should ever be with you. They should be with a similarly beautiful, handsome, be- whatever, you know, person. They shouldn't be with ugly you with a paunch and balding hair. Maybe you're giving them a lot of money. But the reality is, that's us. We're married to Christ. Our churches. Jesus is glorious and marvelous and fantastic and wonderful. And we're like warty and like ugly and oftentimes are, I don't know, actually evil. And so when someone says, hey, what's the reason for the hope in you? You don't say, well, you know, I've donated a lot of money to Jesus, so he comes my way. You say, no, man, it's not me at all. You're right, I'm paunchy and I got warts and a balding hair. But I, you see, there's somebody who adores me. And the fruit that I have coming out of me is from them. The good things you see is them, not me. The glorious thing is that same person loves you. It's, it's incredible. But in order to do that, if, if you're free, who has set you free? You've got to be able to answer that. You have a clean conscience. You, you can stand and you can say, wow, you know what? I do sin, but I'm, I can still smile. I don't bear this guilt and shame around all the time. You gotta know why you don't. Jesus Christ paid for you. His blood has set you free. You have suffering and pain in your life, but you still have hope. You know why that is, right? Because life is so suffering is a light and momentary affliction that's not worth an eternal weight of glory that's coming, 2 Corinthians 4. You know that, right? You aren't crushed when expectations aren't met. Why? Because I died and my life is hidden in Christ. You actually enjoy life. You don't get caught up on the merit ladder and you do things that are like a little bit strange for someone that ought to be about building their own kingdom and you have an answer for that. Why? Because you actually have thought about the response that you want to give when those things happen. You fail and it doesn't crush you. It's amazing. God loves me in spite of my failures. And you can stand and talk about that with someone. And they won't get it because they, they think that if they fail, they're done. So you have something to say that's so amazing, but you got to stand there. Said so that's walking in wisdom towards outsiders, have, having your salt, your speech salty and gracious because you know where you're coming from. This identity in Christ that starts to pervade all of your life while you're here on earth. This is what we want. You first have to see that these things are true of you. You have to walk in wisdom with the outsider, showing the difference, not escaping into drink, but singing and thankful and encouraging. That's the context because it's remarkable. And then we talk about it. We're not quiet. Oh, we found a treasure. This treasure has found us. It's amazing. You know, Jesus tells another parable there in Luke about prayer. We'll close with this. It's the, it's the, Pharisee in the public, and right, and the, the, the Pharisee says, hey, thank you for making me good. Thank you for making me righteous, and look at all the good works I do. And then there's the other man who won't even lift his eyes. 
And he just says to God, and he prays, and he says, Oh, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that word for mercy that he uses is the mercy seat where the blood covered. And he says, Lord, cover me. And it says, that man went down justified. You see that you've got this. You see that the very best gift you could ever have is the one who's the sinner saying, oh, cover me, Lord. And we have been covered with the blood of Jesus. God has come and he gave his life on a cross so you have life. And so we who have nothing and we have no hope and nothing in this world, now we've got so much. This is what motivates everything that we do. Not that we might get more. Not that we might build up. But that we might show that we're that publican who found mercy. And guess what? Every person you meet who doesn't know it yet, they're that publican too. Share this great news of Jesus. So may today you and I live out these things. May we always pray, not because it's some duty to have done, not because it's getting us something, but really honestly here in Colossians, because it's a reflection of of how you've been saved. Oh, run into your dad's presence. Oh, tell him everything that you need help with. It's true that sometimes he may let you be the one who helps, you know. Just like yeah, the image we've used before of a carpenter who's building a, a stairway and his little kid comes up and says, Dad, I want to build it. So he takes his hand and he lets him hit it. But don't think for a minute that it's not the carpenter doing it. Sometimes he just has to do it. Our God is so good. And if we could get that, run into his presence, be ready for an answer, why it is you think that you stand even though you're such a sinner. And it's because of Jesus and what he's done. Share that. Let's be a community that does. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage and these short commands and the picture that it gives us of of how you have saved us and given us so much. Thank you, Father, that you are eager to give, that you love us so much, that you help us and secure our salvation and over and over take care of us day by day. Father, forgive us that we forget. Help us to be those who proclaim the truth in wisdom, understanding this great salvation that we've become a part of. Father, we confess, we who come today, we confess that our only life is in you and our only hope is in your son. It's in his name we pray. Amen.